0: We're going to launch into brand new series this morning called The Father Heart of God. Really excited about this series. I got a book when I became a dad. I think it was from my uncle. It's called To Dad, You Poor Old Wreck. And uh, I'm just going to read a few quotes from it. This is basically just a little book that kids have put together saying some stuff about their dads. Some of them are kind of funny. Some of them are very moving. Some of them are pretty sad, actually, but we're just going to read a selection of them before we start today. This is Julia, age 12. She says this, "'Fathers like to think they are responsible, dutiful, orderly, and enthusiastic, and they endeavor to convince their children of this. Michael, age 12, said, "'When anything goes wrong, dad is completely unbiased and blames me. Thomas, age 11, said, when my dad comes home from work, the house fills with laughter. Oh. Sam, age 9, said, my dad is a softie. He does tell me off sometimes, but he makes a weedy effort. <laughs> Anjani said this, what I like best about my dad is that he's proud of me when I do well in class, and even when I do badly, he's still proud of me. I love him for that. James, age eight, said, my dad has a funny hobby, which I think is being lazy. Catherine, age nine, said, they are very busy people, but they never are too busy to give you a kiss. Deborah, age 13, said, dads are for giving you money, being boss, gardening, and any other pleasures they can think of. That includes sleeping under a newspaper and pretending to be reading it. And David, uh, lastly, said, my dad reminds me of an oak tree he 's big, solid, old, untidy, and absolutely grand <laughs> isn 't that cool? sounds like something Ed would say if you know Ed. Uh, I wonder what your concept of fatherhood is like. We all have a a concept of what dad is, of what fatherhood is, and some of for some of us that 's a very positive thing for some of us it 's actually a rather negative thing. But the Bible talks to us and speaks to us about the concept of God as Father. And our aim in this series is to try and get to the bottom of who is this God that we call Father? What is it about His character, His nature, His personality that describes fatherhood to us? And what is this Father like. So, we're personally, I'm personally very excited about this series. I really think it could change us as a church if we let it. Uh, so, I really want to encourage you to open your hearts. This is what A.W. Tozer said. He said, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven Although exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. And that's really my prayer today and over the course of this series is that we get rid of maybe some of the lies that we have believed about God, uh, that we get under the surface of who God really is, and that we get a revelation of who God is. You up for that? Are you? you want to do me a favor, stand for a minute. We're going to pray. And the reason I'm getting you to stand is so that it's not a passive thing. I want you to pray with me, okay? Uh, So, we're going to pray for this series. Um, I do want to pray for just one other thing. It's kind of never really a good moment to pray for things like this, uh, but I heard some bad news last night in that Rick Warren, you heard of him? Uh, Very sadly, his son in tragic circumstances was killed, uh, died um, very recently, last few days. So we need to pray for him, and then we'll pray for uh, this series. Let's pray together. Father, we give you Pastor Rick Warren and his wife Kay, that family, that church, and we bless them in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that you would pour out the peace that only you can give. We pray, God, that they would be comforted at this tough time. God, I pray that we would be consoled by You, the Comforter, God, and I pray that You would turn this, You would turn this for good, God, and we bless them in the name of Jesus. God, and I bless this church also. Father, every person under the sound of my voice this morning, every person who who will hear this MP3, God, I bless them in the name of Jesus, and I pray, God, would You reveal Yourself to us not just today, God, but over the course of these next few months, I pray would you reveal your heart of Father to us. I pray it would change us, God. I pray it wouldn't be theory, God. I pray it wouldn't be theology, God. I pray it would be experience, Lord. I pray, God, we'd experience your fatherhood. I pray you would reveal yourself to us, give us revelation, and all God's people said, amen. You can take your seats. Well, there's lots of places we could start today, lots of things we could say about fatherhood, and there's kind of lots of things I do want to say, but I know that I've got to have several more opportunities over these next months to say them. Um, so I'm not going to rush, up, rush and blurt out everything I want to say and know about Father God, and in fact, I'm really praying that personally I'll get a better revelation of this whole thing during these next few months. So what I thought I'd do today is just try and set the scene for you, try and set the scene by going right back to the beginning, right back to Genesis, and look at what the Bible seems to teach us in Genesis about the Father heart of God. And I'm going to talk under four main headings today. The title of my message is Introducing the Father Heart of God. I've got four main headings. The first one is this The Father Creates. Say, creates. creates. The Father Creates. I believe we can learn a whole lot about God and His nature and His character and His heart toward us by just looking even at the first couple of pages of your Bible in Genesis. So let's brainstorm together for a moment. What do you think Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 teach us about the Father heart of God? Speak to me. What do you think we can learn about the Father heart of God from Genesis, the first few pages of your Bible? Any volunteers? He's generous. We'll talk about that. He's the creator. He's got imagination. Is that what someone said? Yeah. He gives full provision for everything He's created. That's a good lesson of fatherhood. Anything else? There's a plan. He's good to people. What else can we learn about Father God from Genesis? He wants to be in relationship. Good answers, class. Let me tell you four things. So, these are four subheadings on my first heading that I think it teaches us about Father God. Four words, four concepts of fatherhood. The first is this prominence, say prominence. If you read Genesis 1, you should notice if you read it closely that it's building. It's building towards a climax. It's not just rambling, it's building. And so, we're going we're gonna to look at this crescendo that we see in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to give you an abridged version of Genesis chapter 1 just really quickly. We're going to look at what Genesis 1 tells us. Chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light the first day, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place. Let the dry ground appear. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Verse 14, and God said, let the lights, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And it was so and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and also the wild animals, each according to, the, to his kinds. And it was so. Verse 26, then God said, let us, let us, not let there. not let the, let us. So you see, it's changed from a command to a conversation. It's changed from a command to a, a consultation. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having now a conversation. In verse 26, he says, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over, say rule over, the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in His image, in the image of God He created him, male, and female He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What <sighs> happened on the seventh day? He rested. I don't know about you, but before I rest, I want to be sure I've done the best possible job I want to get the job done before I rest. Any other guys like that in the room? Any other girls like that? You know, when when you've done the job, you feel like, "Ah, now I can take a rest. So, what God does on the seventh day is He rests. Why? Because He's done His work. He's completed it. Not only has He completed it, He's completed the climax of it on day six, creating humankind. You see, one to five, days one to five, we're just setting the scene they were just paving the way, if you will, they, they were just rolling out the red carpet for the guests of honor in creation. Rolling out the red carpet for the VIPs to arrive. Who was that? Say it louder, like you believe it. Us. So turn to your neighbor and say, You're a VIP. You know, God loves His creation. He loves lakes and rivers and mountains and valleys and trees and plants. But i got to tell you, they're just furniture. They're just furniture. God, when He created those things, was furnishing the planet for you. He was furnishing the planet for you. He was just preparing a way, in the same way that you get your house ready for guests. That was what God was doing on day one to five. You see, evolution will tell you that human beings are basically just sophisticated monkeys. And your husband may be just as hairy. He may smell like one. He may behave like one at times. i got to tell you, he is on a different level entirely. And you are too. You are on a different plane altogether. Human beings have a significance that nothing else in all creation has God, when He created humankind, consulted together with Father, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, consulted together, and they designed the whole created order to be subject to humankind. It's said in verse 28, we read it a moment ago. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You are not just an advanced ape. You are not just you know, an ambitious chimpanzee or a high-achieving orangutan, you are a specially created, meticulously designed, intricately woven child of God. You can say amen if you want to embrace that thought. Science tells us you're basically just a lump of genes and matter. God tells you you are the climax of creation. Everything else was created with you in mind. Just think about that for a minute. Everything else. You ever watched those nature programs and you're just like, whoa. That is what our world is like. All of those things were created with you in mind. You were the reason for all of that. The first way we see the Father's heart expressed in creation is He has effectively given us rule. He's given us dominion. He's crowned us, if you will, as kings and queens over this creation. He's given us prominence. That's the first thing. The second key word I want to mention to you today is resemblance. Say resemblance. One of the greatest honors I think that God did for humankind or bestowed on humankind is that He took something of Himself and He infused it into us, Let us. God said, make man in our own image, in our likeness. God the Father, the perfect, glorious Father, determined He was going to take something of Himself and put it in you. He determined that you were going to resemble Him. Now, most of us, when we hear those words, oh, you're just like your Father… How do you react to those things? Don't answer that question, Emily. (laughs) Her dad's sitting right next to her. (laughs) Often, what, what we respond to those words is, we think, oh, don't say that. But, you know, in this case, we're talking about our heavenly Father, perfect and glorious, and He predetermined that you and I would resemble Him. Such was His heart toward human beings, that he wanted to share something of who he was with us. He didn't do that with any other animal. Chickens are not made in the image of God. Labradoodles are not made in the image of God. Stuart and Adrienne, are they here? No. They have an albino hedgehog. They're cute, but they are not made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. Say after me, I am made in the image of God. The Father loved you, you don't have to say this part. The Father loved you so much that he wanted to you to know and experience something of his key attributes in you and he wove them into the fabric of who you are. Third word is abundance. Abundance. One of the most revealing things, I think, that teaches us about God's Father heart and creation is the sheer extravagance of it. Did you know God could have only created one kind of fish? Could have only created one kind of animal? Could have only created one kind of tree? Could have only created one kind of texture, one kind of taste, one kind of sound, and everything could have been in black and white? He could have. For us to functionally exist The vast majority of what exists on planet earth doesn't actually need to exist. God made it an abundant earth, and I think there's only two reasons I can think of He would do that. One, because it demonstrates and it reveals something about who He is. It brings glory to Him. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the heavens declare the glory of God, and that all of this creation is just pointing towards Him. But the second reason… The only other one I can think of, and I'm open to there being others, but the only other reason I can think of it is because He did it for you. He created this abundant world, this phenomenal word. I always made up a word there. I almost said phenomenabulous or something like that. That would have been a better description. It's an amazing, amazing world, and He did it for you. He created this thing for you. He was abundantly generous and benevolent for you. I don't know what your experience was of your earthly father. Maybe he was stingy. Maybe he never gave you anything. Your heavenly father is not like that. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of abundance. And I think the world, the created world, is one, just one big testimony of His abundant generosity. But as wonderful as these three things are, we've covered so far, are, not sure that made sense, but as wonderful as they are, I think the most, perhaps the most significant way God expresses His Father heart that's revealed in Genesis is this. He gives us, number four, His presence. Say, presence. And I guess the first thing I mean by this is that God does something with Adam that he, he doesn't do with any other animal. It says in Genesis 2 verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the, the forming from the dust thing, We tend to think that's unique of Adam, Um, but actually it says something not very dissimilar some verses on about the rest of the animals. But what is unique, what is unique about what he does for Adam here is that he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathes into man his breath. And actually the word there for life is actually plural. So literally what it says is and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives. So what does that mean? Well, here's what I suppose it means. I think it means, one, he became physically alive, so he was able to respire. He was able to inhale and exhale. He became physically alive. But the second thing I think it means is that he became spiritually alive, and that's the thing that marked him out, from all the other animals, he began living, as it were, with the life of God in him. He began living with the life of God and in him, the Spirit of God in him. And, you know, the Bible says that God is spirit, and so the only way we can really truly relate to God in fellowship with God is if we were also spirit. And we are, and I think that's what this verse is indicating, is that He breathed not just breath, physical breath into Adam, but He breathed spiritual life into him. And not only does He breathe a spiritual life into him, I think it's clear in Genesis that God wants to relate to Adam and Eve. He wants to be in fellowship with them. He wants to be up close and personal with them. We see God bringing the animals to Adam and saying, hey, what do you want to call this one? And it's like this beautiful partnership. Can you imagine the the dynamic, maybe the humor that went on as Adam picked these names for these animals? Would have been a lovely thing to see. But we also see later in Genesis 3… God, it seems, walking in the garden. This is after, unfortunately, they've disobeyed God. And Adam and Eve hide. Why? Well, they heard Him coming, and probably they anticipated Him coming, maybe because this was something that happened regularly. He walked regularly with them, relating with them in the garden. You see, I believe that the Father heart of God is that He wants to fellowship with His children. He wants to be up close and personal with His children, and I, I suspect we'll be talking a lot more about that over the next few months. But God wants you to know Him intimately just like He knows you intimately. So, those are, those are some ways that I think we see the Father heart expressed in creation. But that brings me on to my next heading, which is this, the Father grieves. Say grieves. The Father grieves. Why does the Father grieve? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, verse 6, that in spite of the very great freedom Adam and Eve had, and by the way, sometimes people think, well, that was mean of God to put a limit on what Adam and Eve could do, to say you can't touch that tree. But have you considered the the other things that God has said previously? Any tree any tree bearing fruit, you can touch it, you can eat it, you can have your fill. I don't know how many trees there were in that garden, maybe tens, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands. But either way it was not God was not being unfairly limiting on them. He had given them extensive freedom. And yet Man and woman were duped into crossing the only line, the only line that God had asked them not to cross. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the result was that God's prediction was fulfilled. God said this, don't eat from that tree, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know all too well that that is the moment that death entered planet Earth. We also know that Adam and Eve didn't die physically at that point, but something did die. It was the spiritual connection between them and their father. The relationship between them and their father, the intimacy that He had established with them was broken, and not only that, in effect, by rejecting God as their father they inherited a different father. Who was that? You kind of mumbled that. What father did they inherit at that point? Say it loudly. The serpent, Satan. That's what Jesus teaches us in John chapter 8. If you reject God as your father, if you don't have God as your father, you may not like it, but you have the worst stepfather there could ever possibly be. You have the worst stepdad you can believe. He's pretty hellish. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what Jesus says. If you want to read it yourself, you can read it in John chapter 8. And guess what Jesus says about this guy? He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. That's what he says. That's how he describes Satan. He murdered the relationship between mankind and their father. He murdered it. He killed it off. And I got to tell you, it broke God's heart. Broke God's heart. You know, I don't know if you've ever been rejected by your kids in some way. Some of you have in a very serious way, and it's broken your heart. You can only testify to that. I've got some trivial examples. Beth and my one-year-old, at the moment, really doesn't care much for daddy. Often, she's a total mummy's girl. So if mummy's in the room, it's all. If daddy, if daddy's on her, on her own, on his own in the room with her, it's all good. But as soon as mummy comes in, it's like ah, she kind of reaches out her arms, like. I want my mum. I don't want you. You're second best. And you know, as much as I put on my masculine, this doesn't phase me. Sort of thing. Kind of hurts a little bit. I know she'll get over it. Thanks. Pray for me. <laughs> she'll get over it. I know she will. Fortunately, I've got a three-year-old who thinks daddy's the bee's knees. Yeah. yeah. Um. But if you've ever been rejected in some way by your kid, you know it hurts. Why does it hurt? Because you're made in the image of God. Why is that significant? Because He feels exactly the same. Those are His feelings. He gave them to you. He gave them to you. So, He feels exactly the same when you reject Him as Father. And His heart broke that day in Eden. It broke In Genesis 6, God looks down, and He sees how corrupt the world has become, and it says that God was grieved in His heart. He was grieved in His heart. So, God grieves. The next thing, the next point is this. The Father yearns. Say yearns. What does that mean? Well, the Old Testament doesn't say actually a whole lot about God as Father doesn't say a whole lot, but you you could just look and try and read into what various texts in the Bible say, and you'll, you'll see it's there. Here's just some examples, just very quickly, of how we see this Father heart of God yearning after His people who've rejected Him. Isaiah 65 verses 1 and 2, this is God speaking. These are all God speaking. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. Here I am. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people. All day long, I've held out my hands. For what reason? To welcome you back. That's what God's saying. Jeremiah 3, verses 19 to 20, this is God speaking. I myself said, how gladly I would treat you like children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me Father and not turn away from following me, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me declares the Lord. Try and picture, try and imagine how God is, the emotion in in what God is saying. And here's finally Hosea 11, first few verses. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, talking, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This, don't these words just ooze compassion and yearning for his kids? God yearns to have His people back under His fatherly care. And you know what's interesting is that it's not just the Father who's yearning, not just the Father. These, these are verses we had to learn at the end of Destiny College in Romans chapter 8, They're very powerful verses. I should be able to quote them for you, <laughs> shouldn't I? Should we try it? For the anxious longing of the creation. Now, focus on the words, not me trying to remember them. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for what? Read it. For the revealing, for the revealing of who? I've forgotten the next bit. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. Anyone ever had a child? Those are pretty big pains from what I can understand. Suffer the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our what? Say it again. Adoption as sons. The redemption of our body. Those are amazing verses what they're saying is that the whole created order is longing to see who it's going to be that's welcomed back into relationship with God as sons. That's what it's saying. The whole creation that was broken when the relationship was broken is waiting to see who is going to come back, who is going to be invited back, who's going to respond to the call back, who is going to be adopted again into that permanent state of relationship with the Father. There's an air of anticipation. It's a, it's an expect, creation is an expectant mother waiting to see what's it going to be, who's it going to be. It's a beautiful picture. Which brings us on to my last heading. The Father restores. Say restores. Restoration speaks of taking something that's become damaged and returning it to its former state. And we talked at the beginning of four key ways that the Father's heart has expressed in creation. What were they? I can't even remember them myself, so I don't expect you to remember them. Firstly, prominence, say prominence. Resemblance, say resemblance. Abundance, say abundance. Presence. All four of these things were devastated by the fall. We forfeited our prominence, our dominion, and we gave it to the devil. Our resemblance to our perfect Father was indescribably marred. The abundance and the beauty of creation was contaminated, and we were alienated from the presence of our Father. In short, we took all of those gifts that God had given us, and we threw them back in His face. (laughs) We threw them back in His face. But I've got to tell you, God was not content. God was not content to leave it like that. The good news is that the Father had a plan. He had a plan for restoration, and He reveals in the New Testament that that plan came in the form of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but as soon as you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the the number of times that the word Father is used increases dramatically. It goes through the roof. I found seven occurrences in the Old Testament where God explicitly is called Father, seven occurrences. In the New Testament, which is much, much shorter, there are 272 times God is called Father, 272 times. That means proportionally, I did the sums, for every one verse in the Old Testament, every one mention of God as Father in the Old Testament, there are 113 in the New Testament. That's a big, big change. What's changed? Is it God who's changed? Thank you, Emily. No, it's not God's that's changed. It's just that in Jesus, we've got the means to get back to the Father. The verses we read in Romans 8 say this, verse 23. Even we ourselves, even we ourselves have grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons. Adoption as sons. What's adoption? Adoption is is being brought into the family of God, being brought into intimate relationship, intimate fellowship with God, and that's made possible again through Jesus. But you know what the, the amazing thing is? It didn't actually have to be like that. It didn't have to be like that. In fact, God didn't have to do anything for us at all. But I want to paint this picture just by very quickly. I know probably I'm over time already, but I want to I want to raise three theological terms very, very briefly to tell us something about some of the things that God that Jesus has done for us, that God the Father has done for us in Jesus. Here's the first one: regeneration. Say that. What does that mean, Graham? Well, glad you asked. It means this: God gives us new spiritual life within. That is, He transforms our moral nature. Justification, what does that mean? That means God gives us right, legal standing before Him. We were guilty, and God declares us innocent, if you like, pardoned, righteous. But thirdly, adoption. God makes us members of His family. He welcomes us into loving, intimate relationship, and He loves us just like He loves His own Son, Jesus. Why do I bother telling you about these things so late in this message? I just want to make this point. God could have made you alive spiritually. He could have regenerated you. He could have legally dealt with sin so that you could stand before Him righteous. But He didn't have to take it any further at all. He didn't have to do anything else. In fact, He didn't have to do any of that stuff. But He certainly didn't need to adopt you. He certainly didn't need to do that. He could have just cleaned you up and left you outside. He could have. He could have been like that father with a hose after that kid has got all mucky and messed up, he could have hosed you down and left you outside to drip dry forever. He could have done that. I think this is a beautiful package, these three things, what has been done that culminates in this adoption. We sometimes use the illustration, don't we, when we're talking about what Jesus has done of the, the guy who goes to court guilty and the judge doing something for him. Do you know the illustration I'm talking about? Let me explain it to you briefly. A guy goes to court. He is charged with a particular crime. He's sitting in the what do you call it when somebody's All of you who answered that quickly. <laughs> He's sitting in the dock. The sentence or the the crime is described. He says, "How do you plead?" And the guy says, "I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I plead guilty." And the judge passed a sentence, and he says, this is the fine that's applied because of the crime you've committed. And the man's head hangs because he can't pay the fine. And what does the judge do? Yeah, he takes off his wig. He comes down to the man. He takes out his checkbook, and he writes the fine, and he hands them a check. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story, a beautiful illustration of what Jesus has done but I have to tell you, God didn't just pay your fine. He didn't just pay your fine. He invited you home to His house. He invited you to dine with Him every day for the rest of eternity. He invited you into His presence, His glorious presence, with all of the full rights of sonship forevermore. That's what adoption means. It says in 1 John 3 in verse 1, I love this verse, actually, we used to sing a song about it in Sunday school, it says this, see, say see. That's an imperative that's it's telling us, observe, watch, take note. He says, see, the old versions say, behold. Behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us so that we should be called children of God. It's interesting. It doesn't say, behold, what wonderful legal transactions God has carried out on your behalf. It says, see how great love the Father has lavished. Say lavished say it again, lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And friends, I hope that's kind of whetted your appetite a little bit for what we're getting into over the next few months. The Father heart of God is expressed in several ways as we've seen. God blessed us abundantly in creation. He grieved over us When we turned our backs on him, he yearned for us to be restored into relationship with him, and he adopts us into his family forever. If that's not a good dad, I don't know what is. So I want to encourage you. Uh, You know, I, I think we've got a whole lot more to say on this subject, and my prayer at the beginning was heartfelt. I want this to change us all. And, uh, you know, that's to a large extent up to you. It's not all up to us and the quality of our preaching. It's actually up to you and how you receive the Word of God. So I want to encourage you over these next few months to come to church expectant and open, open to hearing what the Bible has to say about who you are and who God is, and open, wide open to being changed and transformed by it. You up for that? Amen. Can we pray together? Let's pray. God, I'm amazed even if these guys aren't. And I pray, Lord, that you would just amaze us more. Every day, Lord, uh, God, especially over these next few months, as we investigate these things in much more depth, Lord, we give you full permission to change us. Lord, I pray you would speak truths into our hearts. Lord, things that are familiar that are said, but are also truths that we haven't yet embraced. Lord, may we hear them and may they change us. God, I pray you'd also speak into our lives new revelation and new truth that would change and transform your people for the good of their lives and those who come into contact with them. I bless them all in Jesus' name. Probably all of us have to respond in in some way. So if you're here today and you're already a child of God, the Bible says that to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So if you've already received Jesus, you already believed in Him, you've received Him by faith, you're already, the Bible says, a child of God the most appropriate thing you do right now is just thank Him. But if you're here today, and we do this every week, uh, if you're here today and you know that actually I can't honestly say I'm a child of God because I've never fully believed in Him, I've never given my life to Him. If you're here in that category this morning, I want to give you an opportunity before you leave. Um, So, I want you to pray a prayer. I haven't talked masses about the mechanics of salvation. I haven't talked about Jesus dying on a cross and rising again for you, but that is really the crux of the matter. That is how God restored everything, by putting Jesus on a cross so that He would pay the sin, pay for the sin that you and I have committed. And our faith in that act is what saves us, the Bible teaches us. So if you're here today and you need to become a child of God, then you need to pray this prayer after me. Just pray it on your breath between you and God. Pray like this. Father God, thank you so much for everything You've done for me that I might be called Your child. God it amazes me and I thank You with my whole heart. Jesus I thank You for willingly going to the cross which was brutal. Thank You for doing that for me. Thank you, you rose again on the third day and that you're alive today for all eternity. And thank you that as I receive you, I can be adopted into your family. Thank you, God. Amen. Just keep your eyes shut for a little second longer. Is there anyone here that prayed that prayer? Maybe for the first time, maybe it's been a very, very long time since you prayed a prayer like that. Anyone here today, just raise your hand, let me know you you did that. Thanks, anyone else? Anyone else pray that prayer? Okay, God, Well, I just pray? Lord, transform us. I've prayed it before. Transform us, God. Move in our lives. We open our whole hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.